creaking below me. I tried not to think of the bottomless cavern beneath the thin bridge. I climbed a jagged little ice hump, swinging my axe above it, biting in and pulling myself over what I assumed was the fracture line, and breathed out deeply, chuckling grimly because I knew everyone else now had to cross. Later, at our 14,000-foot camp, Sam, my primary training partner, said he could finally see the brilliant white ramparts of the West Buttress leading to the top of Mount McKinley, a mile and a half above us. It had taken us a week to get here, but besides the crevasse danger, it had only been a grueling slog up moderate snow slopes. Tomorrow, the real climbing would begin. Sam took my finger and brought it up the route we would climb stopping at prominent landmarks like the 60-degree headwall, Washburn's Thumb, and Pig Hill. He pointed out the second-tallest peak, Mount Foraker. Then I tried to point toward McKinley's summit. I pointed my finger a little higher than Foraker. No, higher, Sam laughed. I raised my finger. Still higher. I continued to point higher and higher. Finally, I pointed so high, I imagined I was pointing at the sun. There, Sam said, his voice softer and deeper now. There's the summit of McKinley. That is when I felt the stubborn fear washing over me, beginning in the pit of my belly and slowly seeping into my fingertips, making them tingle. All my life, fear had nearly paralyzed me. Rock climbing outside of Phoenix had definitely provided a healthy dose of fear, my one hand palming a precarious finger lock, while my other hand scanned across the rock face, desperately searching for the next hold. For me, the fear of climbing blind does not come when I am hanging securely from a fat hold or after latching on to the next. The greatest fear is in the reaching At that moment, when I have committed my body and soul to finding the next hold, when I am hoping, predicting, praying I will find what I am seeking. But it isn't all fear. Despite the pain and frustration of going blind, the death of loved ones, the loss of my eyes to glaucoma, none of it had been enough to stamp out the hope. A delicate strand of hope balanced by fear, each keeping the other in its place. It was on the top of one of those rock faces when Sam suggested we try something a little bigger. Maybe Mount McKinley. I had immediately said yes, and the decision had been like another reach into the darkness, the greatest reach of my life. That afternoon, in the blazing heat, we built snow walls around our campsite. I knew about McKinley's legendary cold, but no one had told me about the heat, reflecting like a mirror off the snow and burning my eyeballs through the leather flaps of my glacier glasses. Then, the wind chilled by the glacier whipped past me, taking much of my body's warmth with it. Windburn on top of sunburn. Get used to it, Chris laughed, observing Sam and me constructing snow fortresses out of the glacier. Sam cut blocks of blue ice from the floor while I placed them in a rectangle around the site to block the wind. Soon the walls were as tall as me. Then I cut steps into our fort while Sam packed the small gaps in the walls with snow. Finally, the site was ready for the tent. I held one side and threw the other into the wind which caught it and unfurled it.
I laid it on the ground and oriented it by feeling the loops and pockets on the corners through my layers of gloves. Months before, on a training climb on Mount Rainier, a teammate assigned me to set up a tent on the Muir snowfield, on which wind and cold seemed to be the only constants. I was beginning to shiver as I knelt in the snow with the tent laid out in front of me. Through my thick gloves I couldn't feel the delicate sleeves of the fabric. I fumbled with it, clumsily trying to jam the pole through. Then I took my glove off so I could actually touch it. My hands were my eyes, but three frustrating layers of material over them made me feel blind. Only for a second, I thought. Just enough time to get the pole started in the sleeve. But sharp splinters of sleet pricked my bare skin, and it went instantly numb. I stuffed my lifeless hand back inside the glove and beat it against my knee. When it came back to life, the...